The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well as listen to old archive shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning. Good, good morning, Scott. So, uh, an interesting week, a bit of news. Uh, the Ontario budget came down. We're still waiting for the feds. They're going to have one next month. But what are your, uh, I know you're going to talk about this later in the show, but any anything stand out at this point? Yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the highlight was, um, you know, the, the dollar amount and $38.5 billion with a B. Uh, deficit is forecasted for this budget ending in 2021 and next year a drop down to 33.1 billion so a drop of five billion dollars in terms of the estimated deficit so uh these are big dollars and um the the budget ontario budget had no changes in terms of personal and corporate tax rates but there are some um some new provisions for individuals, families, and corporations. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. All right, you're going to touch on that in a bit. Uh, Don, I know you wanted to do uh, a bit on helping the kids buy a house. Yes, and talk about deficits. Yeah. Boy, you, that, mar- that market out there is insane, absolutely incredible. Um, I know I talked, I had a friend recently um, put his house up, which, he, which would have gone up for about 1.3 in November, he uh, changed his mind, put it up not long ago, uh, put up for 1.5, and ended up getting 1.85, which wow. it's almost funny money to this extent. Now, on the other side, somebody's buying this house, and, and if it is mm. a child of yours, how do they stand a chance? Talk about deficits. Like, they are going to be so much in the hole. Um, never mind, even just trying to get the down payment. And I guess, you know, that's always a question I, I often get is, as well, you know, I... I I scraped together my down payment, and I was able to buy my own house. Things are definitely different today than it was, oh, even 10 years ago, and uh, particularly in, in the Hamilton area, which I'm going to get to a little later. But I used an example. It was an interesting article that I came across that used the median income for 20 to 25 to 35-year-olds, and if they were to save 10% of their gross income, so whatever they made before taxes came off, they saved 10% of it. And they also did assume there was growth in their incomes, which is really, you know, not necessarily the case these days. And we used a 25-year mortgage with a, using a, enough 30% of your income, okay? A 2%, a, per, a 2% mortgage rate all the way through. And right now they are significantly low. To, see, to think that they're going to be 2%, for the next 25 years, I think would be uh, stretching it out a bit. And so I looked at the suburbs of Toronto. And in the GTA, it would take, for that 25 to 35-year-old, 11 years to save the down payment. 11 years. So if you're diligent and you actually save 10% all the way through, and this isn't adding money to an RSP, this is adding any extra money, this is literally putting it away to buy a house, Possibly you could use the, home, um, the new home buyer's plan, but 
11 years. So he said, okay, well, that's Toronto or GTA. So that, include, that would include Burlington, Oakville, Mississauga. Um, what about Hamilton? Hamilton is a lot less expensive. Well, it used to be. It now takes nine years, 105 months to save for a house. So if you're 30 years old, saving for a house starting out, you're 39 by the time you actually can afford it based on that criteria, which is probably not the case. So there's a lot of talk is it a bubble right now. And you know what? It, uh, I would, if there was a half percent increase in the five-year mortgage rates, I could definitely see the houses at least staying the same, if not dropping. And that's what actually happened prior to the pandemic. We saw there was a, they, they were starting to raise the five-year interest rates. And sure enough, uh, the housing price actually took a slight dip, which wasn't all bad. Uh, you know, that on top of adding a tax for out-of-country out of home buyers. And so it actually had some effect to make it affordable. But even if it was a 10% drop uh, in, in the housing prices tomorrow, which really, the prices went up 15% last year. So to go down 10% is not even losing last year's growth. So if it went down 10%, it would still take, it would take a decade in the GTA to still get your house. It would take seven years of savings in Hamilton. Now, likely this would not happen, but if there was a 30% drop, then it would take four years to save for a house, which is kind of like the old days, and that's very unlikely. And so people said, well, 30% drop, that would never happen. And we did see this happen in the early 90s because, uh, you know, houses, I know my house, I've just bought the house, and within a year, the Burlington homes dropped by 25%. And I'm thinking, hey, I just added sidings and windows here. It's got to be worth more than that. And said, ah, okay, we'll give you a 22% drop. And all the houses in Burlington dropped. Hamilton dropped at least the same. The difference is Hamilton took a lot longer to come back. Now, Hamilton's uh, far more vibrant of a city now than it was back when I bought. Now, there's a lot more vibe here now. But still, and this, this also has happened in New York City. Back in 2006, it peaked. It took 15 years to get back to those levels after that financial crisis they had in 08, 09. 15 years. So if you put a million dollars in for a place in New York City, 15 years later, it was still worth a million dollars. So you better like your place. Or the nice thing is if you were to move up and buy a bigger place, at least all the houses did drop. So once you did save for this house and you are now living in this house and you outbid everybody, because I read in the spectator this past week, somebody had put competitive bids on 21 houses so far, and they hadn't purchased a house. That alone would suggest that we're in a bit of a housing bubble. Anyway, if you were able to, you think, okay, what about the mortgage payment? Based on that 2% interest rate, to be honest, you wouldn't even be able to afford it in the GTA. You couldn't afford the mortgage. Uh, you would be able to afford it based on the median income in Hamilton, but you wouldn't be able to afford to live in Burlington, Oakville based on the average uh, median income, which usually isn't too far from the average. So again, starting at 30, buying a house at 39, and barely affording a 2% mortgage makes it very difficult. And so then you think, okay, the bank of mom and dad isn't looking so bad now. <laughs> and, we're, and we're coming across that more and more. Clients are asking, you know what, the kids don't stand a chance. 
and I absolutely agree. But how how is the what is the best way to lend money or gift money to your child? And I guess one of the things that we're seeing now is with with let's say with a hundred thousand dollars, and you got to think a hundred thousand dollars seems like a lot of money, but you buy a million dollar property, which is seems outrageous, but a million dollar property is just slightly above average, and that's ten percent down. Okay, so it's not not that outstretched. So if you did not have a prenup, and prenups are always tricky. So if you're if you're lending it to your son or daughter and they're they're now married, would you put it in the prenup saying, okay, you owe us this money back? Well, what you it's very unlikely. So the other part is probably not a good idea. Okay, that will not bode well over over Easter Easter dinner. So we have, you think, okay, why don't you do a promissory note? And you don't have to charge them interest. But the nice thing with this promissory note is it is a debt. And if there was a divorce or a separation, and it, and it could be common law or married in this case, you they pay back the debt. And normally what happens is one person will buy out the other person out of the house or they have to sell the house, of which case you will get your money back. Now, the cons of doing such a thing, and this is a big one, is how is this going to affect your retirement plan? And this is because normally what happens is when you're lending money to your kids, you're generally not charging them interest. That's kind of like, okay, here's a gift. But because Johnny got 100000 Susie didn't, um, you know, you got to look at that too. Is it fair for both kids if you have two kids? Um, how, and you probably can't afford, or a lot of people can't afford, lending 100000 to each kid because that takes a lot of bite out of your retirement plan. So just as an example, if you're 55 years old and you want to lend your child or gift your child hundred grand, you are still about 10 years away from retirement, 65. That hundred grand would have grown to 163000 by the time you hit 65. And if you lived to 95, that 163000 would have paid you $874 a month. So by gifting that hundred grand, you've basically taken out almost nine hundred dollars a month out of your retirement income. So it's it's a domino effect, and so it's it's tricky. And then you think, okay, is there any alternatives? Well, <laughs> it's it is a very tough conversation. This is where having a financial planner in the mix is like has to be involved. You cannot. It's so difficult to go through all these, all these effects of your of your overall lifestyle without having a financial plan. So I guess there is one alternative: is your kids may not be able to afford a house, and maybe they should rent. And it's so funny in Canada; it's almost like rent is a, a four-letter word, which it is, by the way. But anyway, it's, <laughs> it it seems like a bad thing. And so if you looked at a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage at two percent, your payments per month are twenty. 2100 a month. You then have to pay taxes at six grand, which is 500 a month. You got maintenance fees, another couple hundred bucks a month. You're up to $3,000 a month by owning a house before you even get out of the blocks. Well, you could probably rent a house or something very nice for 2000 a month. Well, if that's the case, as long as you save the $1,000 a month, and you, let's say you put that into an RSP, that $1,000 a month would grow over the years. And in fact, 
if you were to put that away, it would grow to $600,000 at 5% in 25 years, the same time of paying off your mortgage. Now, you've got to remember, mortgage rates are at 2% right now, and that is one of the all-time lows. Your mortgage payment could go up dramatically when this five-year mortgage comes up. Um, your rent can only go up by whatever the Landlord-Tenant Act says it can go up by. So assuming everything's equal, which is unlikely, renting may be an option because if you save that $1,000 a month, put that into an RSP, you're going to get a tax refund, even if you're in the middle tax bracket, 30%. You're going to get a tax refund of about $172,000 over those years if you invest that at 5%. So now you pay off your more, you've rented, you don't own anything, but you got $775,000 invested. And if you happen to get 7% on your investments, which is not, you know, definitely not necessarily easy to do, but it is in range because an equity portfolio should average about 6% above inflation. That means you would get, you would have 810000 in your RSPs, and you would also invest the tax refund, which puts you a million dollars. So 25 years later, renting, you got a million dollars, and you're 30, you're now 55, don't own a house, but you got a million dollars, maybe an option. Certainly worth considering and talking to your financial planner about. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well as listen to old archive shows. We're going to talk about income protection this segment. Yeah, Scott, I wanted to start off by uh, asking you a question to test your skill. But just now, based on Don's section that he just did there regarding, uh, uh, well, my, my question to you was, what, what, what is your most valuable asset? My wife. I think I've been asked this question before. I would say my job. Wow. Yeah, well, I thought you were going to say house. I was going most to. People, I know, because most people who have seen these re- incredible uh, increases in the value of their real estate often think about their home. And, uh, well, you know what? You're kind of an old guy, so it, it actually <laughs> is probably your house. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But, no, really, one of the most valuable assets that we have is our ability to make a living. And so you're right. It's your job. And... You know, I guess the question is, can you put a price on that, your ability to make a living? And the answer is, yes, you can. And really sort of breaking it down into three things, three factors that sort of put a price to that ability to make a living. Number one is your current annual income. So if you're listening out there and you're working, think about, okay, what's my annual salary? 
the next thing is let's assume that you're going to work till 65. So you've got X number of years until you're going to work. And then we also have to assume inflation because for most people, our wage increases over time. And uh, so 2.5% inflation is a pretty good target. So let's start with um, age 55. So let's say you're age 55, Scott, you know, we're in your zone there, and uh, you make $120,000 a year. You've, you've reached sort of your peak earning years. That's 10000 a month. Well, the value of that in terms of that asset, the ability to make a living between 55 and 65 is $1.3 million. Now, for a lot of people, their home is actually worth more at that point. So when you think about income protection, that ability to uh, – you're protecting that ability to make a living – it is um, more valuable the younger you are, right? So the closer you are to your actual retirement date, that the you know that value of having that living income, that working income, is is obviously reduced. So let's roll back ten more years. So let's go from age fifty-five back to age forty-five. Now you're maybe not making as much money. You haven't hit your peak earning years. Let's say you're making only ninety-six thousand a year, and that's eight thousand a month. Well, that's worth $2.4 million to you by the time you get to 65. So now we're starting to get into the area where clearly your ability to make a living is worth more and it is your most, most, becomes your most valuable asset. Let's, let's roll that back another 10 years to age 35, and we'll assume you're making uh, $72,000. That's $6,000 a month. That's $3.1 million is the value of that, income, the ability to make that income. And we'll finally, we'll go back right to the start when you're just getting launched into your career. You've had a couple of years under your belt at age 25, and you're making 4000 a month, 48000 a year. That's worth almost $3.4 million in terms of the future value of that ability to make a living. So, you know, this is probably, it's, it, it is the, the, the key element that allows you to build your financial life, your ability to make a living. And... Um, and so the, the, the odds of that, of losing that ability to make a living, and one of the statistics we look at is if you couldn't work for 90 days or longer, right, uh, what are the odds of that happening? Well, at age 35, you basically have a 50-50 chance of a disability that, that would last 90 days or longer. And one in four one in four of us will contract heart disease. And a lot of people think, well, that's just something that happens to old people, right? Uh, but in fact, one in two are under age 65. So almost half the people that contract heart disease are less than age 65. Are these Canadian um, statistics, Andy? They are, hmm. yeah. And so uh, the odds of you actually uh, having a 90-day period where you could not work due to illness or injury, if you're age 55, Scott, it's about 23%, about one in four. At age 45, it goes up to 40%. At age 35, you've got that 50-50 chance. And at age 25, it's about 58% chance that you would have a illness or injury preventing you from working for 90 days. Now, then the next thing we look at is the issues around illnesses or injuries is if they last 90 days, they tend to be pretty significant. 
there's a, that's that's a that's a pretty extensive level of impairment in terms of your ability to work and uh, that illness to be able to keep you out of work for 90 days. And a lot of times I think about people talk about you know oh geez I'll take a sick day here or I'll take a sick day there. And a lot of times we think about uh, you know being off work is such a treat. Uh, but it's amazing when you talk to people after they've been either suffered an illness or an injury after, you know, 20 days, 30 days, 50 days, like they're, they're ready to go back to work if they can, but if they can, and the odds are that if you actually end up being off work for 90 days, then how long are you potentially going to be off work before you can get back to earning your normal uh, living? And at age 55, it averages about 2.6 years. So if you have an illness or an injury that prevents you from working for 90 days, statistically, you could be off for as much as uh, 2.6 years, almost two and a half years. Uh, If you're 45, it's 3.2 years. If you're age 35, it's 2.8 years. And if you're 25, it's 2.1 years. I guess you're young enough, you you seem to recoup a little bit faster than the older guys. But... um, uh, so that's an interesting thing when I think about uh, protecting your ability to earn an income is, you know, you don't just need something for, you know, 30 days, 60 days or 90 days. You really need something that uh, protects you for two to three or longer years. Right. And so with income protection and what we often call disability insurance, um, you can pick the amount of coverage and the length of coverage that you want. You could pick a five-year period. You could pick, um, or you could pick right till age 65 so that those benefits continue. And it will depend on everybody's situation, you know, your um, the type of income that you earn, the type of profession you're in, and these will all have different, are all different factors in terms of deciding what length of coverage makes sense for you. Um, then you get into, well, what are the odds of, of being disabled or, or qualifying for long-term disability, I guess, versus death. And uh, at age 52, you're 2.2 times more likely to be disabled than you are to die. Uh, at age 42, it's three and a, 3.5 times, three and a half times more likely to be disabled than die. And at age 27, it's 2.7. So statistically, you know, and we always think about uh Talk, people talk about life insurance and having life insurance, yet you're two to three times more likely to need disability insurance than you would life insurance. Um, and so when I think about um, what, what do we protect already in our lives, right? We think about life insurance. Yeah, that's one. We buy insurance to protect our home case of flood, in case it burns down, in case of some kind of disaster. We buy insurance to protect our cars and liability in case we have an accident. Uh, We often buy insurance for our valuables. Maybe it's jewelry, maybe it's art, maybe it's a boat, maybe it's antiques or something. And I've often seen somebody will have a rider on their their policies and they'll pay for additional coverage on these assets. Um, But none of those help you. In case of an illness or an injury, right? They're they're there, and in fact, most of us never want to see our home burn down so that yeah. we have to claim. We don't want to have to die to claim our life insurance, 
uh, and our valuables, yeah, I guess if they're stolen, it'd be nice to know you could replace them or at least get the dollar amount. You're never going to necessarily replace exactly what you had before. And, and it's interesting you mentioned this, Sandy, because when somebody's getting a mortgage, as we were just talking about, a younger person, uh, say 25 or 35 in that area, three times more likelihood they would be disabled rather than dying. Most people all focus on the insurance. In fact, all the institutions offer mortgage insurance, which we've talked about before, isn't the best deal in the world. You're better off to get a, a separate policy. But even at least it's their focus point. And yet there isn't one of these mortgage companies that would say, you know what, if you ever get disabled, no problem. We, we'll, we'll, we'll look after things for three years. You, and and no. statistically, 80% of mortgage foreclosures are due to a disability, not a death. Yes. And it's, it's, it's odd to me that, you know, when I was having a discussion with a young couple uh, that were cl- uh, a son of a client of mine, and we had the discussion about insurance protection, and, uh, you know, they hadn't really thought about it. Uh, there had been some discussions around the household about it, but to, the, to a large extent, they never really thought about the exposure that they had in case they couldn't work. And um, so, you know, we, every young couple only has so much money. And as you said, like, they're having to take out huge mortgages, and um, and risk and leverage themselves up to be able to buy a home. Um, that that makes it sometimes makes the budget tight. And at the end of the day, uh, it's unfortunate. But if someone doesn't have protection in case of an illness or injury, they, as you say, they may end up losing their home. And, and, and we've um, talked about for years a cornerstone of investing, and one is a short-term reserve. The second most important area is the insurance, because your whole house of cards could fall apart if there was a disability or death. So extremely important to have that looked after. One of the things we, you know, we often want to look at is just on that note too, Don, is that thinking about everybody might feel comfort in the fact that they have protection through work. Right. And uh, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a second as well. So the one thing about disability income is that it typically provides a tax-free income so that you can maintain your lifestyle, maintain those payments, and really at a time when there's less money coming in, if you think about it, right, you're now, you can't work, you're, you're sick or, or you're injured, and you have more money going out, which means you're, cause your expenses are going up, right? You probably have some additional medical costs, maybe some additional care costs. So that's sort of a, those, are, those things are going in opposite directions. Your income's going down, your expenses are going up, and that's a dangerous situation. So what are your options when it comes to sort of filling the gap when you can't work uh, a lot of times people will say, well, I'll just rely on my savings. You know, and Donna, you were talking about how long does it save, how long does it take just to save enough money for a down payment? You know, mm-hmm. to get $100,000. Well, if you make $100,000 a year, you know, you could blow through your savings in a pretty quick time, and we know how long it takes to build those up. So the question is, how much do you have? How long would it take before they're depleted? Um, and would it be enough to protect you? And is that a reserve that, you know, that you would, is that okay to use it at that point? Uh, another option might be non-liquid assets, and sometimes people might sell a boat or sell uh, a cottage or sell um, jewelry or, or something that they have. But typically, you know, those have sort of more value beyond just their monetary work, so it's not something that you typically think about wanting to get rid of because you have a lot of emotions connected to these things. Uh, and the, the other second, the question is, will you get the full value for them? <laughs> yeah. And then could you ever could you ever replace them if you could once you get back to work? Uh, some people think, well, I'll get a loan. 
Well, borrowing isn't always easy, uh, particularly if you've got a lot of debt already. And uh, certainly now, if you can't work, that's going to be problematic. Can you qualify? Uh, when could you pay the loan back? Uh, maybe there's other sources of household income. Maybe your spouse works. And uh, do they have enough income to sort of cover the gap? And what about that emotional burden, though? Can you maintain the family household uh, lifestyle? Because not only they're still working full-time, your spouse, but they're also trying to balance between caregiving and helping helping out uh, you uh, uh, that needs the help, additional help. Uh, Canada and Quebec Pension Plan. Uh, the Canada Pension Plan Disability Benefit. Well, you can, if you to qualify, you must have a severe or indefinite mental physical disability and be able to unable to work in any occupation. Okay, so that means it's a it's difficult to qualify for, and if you if you are that badly off, you're going to need it for longer than three years. Typically, you're going to need it till you know, for your working life, uh, and then we get into the group long term disability insurance. So. It's a good start. There's no doubt about it. Having something through your employer, through that work plan. Uh, but the question is, it probably doesn't cover enough of your income. And number two, it probably may not last long enough. So one solution is an individual insurance policy. And when we think about an individual insurance policy, they sort of get into, well, how much should I have and how much should I protect myself? And we go through a budget process. So we want to think about what's your monthly mortgage. And I just did a quick summary on this. What's your monthly mortgage payments? Maybe it's, two, say, 2000 a month. Your property taxes, 400 a month. Your property insurance, 100 a month. Food, say, 200 a week, 800 a month. Uh, clothing, 100. Utilities, 400. Auto expenses, 400. Auto insurance, 100. Home maintenance, 300. Life insurance. Education costs, if you have children. If you've got two kids, that's at least 400 a month uh, to maximize their education plan. Retirement savings, at least 1,000 a month. Miscellaneous, you know, gifts, Christmas, 125. I'm up to 6,200 already, right there, <laughs> with those costs. And uh, the only things you could really stop in that budget is you could wipe out, you know, the clothing costs. You might cut back on any of the maintenance, home maintenance things you were planning to do, and maybe cut back on Christmas and gifts. So that's only 520. Still brings you 5,600 a month that you need. But your medical costs have probably gone up, and we haven't even talked about that. So it might be physio, it might be massage care, it might be chiropractor, it might be other additional home care things that you need. So just quickly looking at a male age 45 to, let's say, protect at least half of that, say 3000 a month, uh, and what we call a 3A, uh, would be $111 a month. So that would be $3,000 a month uh, after a 90-day period of waiting. And that would be till age 65, so a 20-year benefit period, in this case, up to 20 years, uh, for 111 a month. So, you know, you think about your budget, that's not out of the realm to be able to build in some additional protection. Maybe you've already got some group coverage through your work, but have a review of your disability insurance protection and make sure there's not a gap there. And if there is, we can certainly help you out to understand what would be a good policy and how much that would cost for you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, this segment, NFT? Yes, and by the way, if you know what this means, good for you. I would suggest most people do, do not, and in fact, I didn't. And by the way, T does not stand for taxes for a change. No fun time <laughs> during a pandemic? Non fungible token. I'm sorry? Yes, exactly. Non fungible token. <laughs> and it's not often that I get what I'm going to speak about on the radio from watching. Saturday Night Live. But that is what actually happened this time. I'm watching Saturday Night Live. They're, we always tape it every time it's on. And, and they were talking about these NFTs. And I'd never heard these things before. And what they are, they, it's a digital sale, basically, of art, video clips, clips tweets, audio uh. things. Um, you, you name it, uh, that can be produced on a digital format, can now be sold. And uh, mm -hmm. an example would be Jack Dorsey who is the founder of Twitter, sold his first tweet. And some person from a uh, Malaysia bought it for $2.9 million. Wow. And that is just mind-boggling, I thought. Um, after and, I, and over time, you'll start seeing some even bigger numbers. But this person... Well, I, wonder, I, wonder if we'll, I wonder if we'll be able to sell our digital show. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. Maybe our first show is worth something now. First show is worth something, the original... How do you recoup, recoup your costs, though? How do you get it back? And does it go up in value just uh, because you... Well, could. And, and there's basically a marketplace for these where they are just bought and sold and, on, and will be going through this. But the same way as Bitcoin is, um, and it's a, there's a locker and it gives you a number. So this person paid $2.9 and they receive a certificate of authenticity and they have a license to display that tweet. And, of course, most importantly, they have bragging rights, okay, <laughs> that they have the first tweet ever tweeted. And really what it is, it's uh, also a new way for fans to interact with their favorite personalities. Um, it's purchasing memorabilia, like, you know, in the, basically up until and still today, you can buy an autographed jersey. Or you can have a, a little video clip of your favorite player making a dunk. And LeBron James making a dunk, just went for $290,000 for his dunk. And so it's, uh, in, you know, very, uh, it's brand new, but there's tons of people looking at this. And I, I'm a bit of a latecomer to this party. Um, amazing how being a fan, and they can be sold and bought very quickly. It's amazing to me, though, because, you know, for example, that person in the dunk, well, there must be a bazillion other images of that. So what makes that one so valuable? And that's a great question. That's what they call copies. So depending on how you copies they make of this. So in, if there's like 100 copies, then that would be less valuable than, say, if there was only 10 copies of that dunk. So they have a certain amount of copies. They tell you the number of copies and... If you're the first one, they have them itemized. So it's almost like when you buy a print of a, of a piece of art, mm -hmm. you know which, or, which print you bought. Was it the first print of that original or was it the 2000th print? And the closer you got to the beginning, apparently the more valuable it is. So it can be 
so many things. Definitely a very controversial asset class right now. And they could have, like, maybe the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup. Um, that would be <laughs> That'd a be really valuable. That would have <laughs> been a long time ago. And maybe that goal, the empty net goal uh, to win it, uh, to pack it away, would be worth something if they'd have to digitize it. It could be a record album. It could be a photograph. Um, there was just some digital art that went for $69 million. And that's what I heard about this last week or the week before. I didn't understand why, how you can sell digital art, but this is how it's done on these non-fungible tokens. So it's weird. It's uh, definitely different. And it's, uh, you know, basically almost anything can be sold. So a good example is a man passing gas <laughs> sold for $85. And I guess if Tesla has that as an option in their cars, why not, I suppose. But it's a massive marketplace. It's uh, one of the biggest uh, marketplaces, OpenSea is the name. There's a lot of flipping going on, so there's money to be made. And it basically exists on a blockchain, like cryptocurrencies. And it's a digital ledger, ledger where transactions are recorded. And uh, there's another one called Top Shot that does, that's going, totally licensed by the NBA. And to me, it, it's now becoming like trading cards. So they'll know, almost like the Harry Potter of trading cards, where instead of you've got a, a, a card, now you have this digital, on, authentic piece of whatever you may have purchased. And like I mentioned, LeBron Stunk was worth 208000 I stand corrected. No different, so, really, than digital music, right? Same thing. Uh, digital music. You yeah. could buy that also. So yeah. the nice thing about this, though, if you're an artist and you do a painting and you sell it, you made your money. But if it's sold in this format, every time it's resold, the artist makes 5 to 10%. So they can continue to get a royalty on that single piece of art just by having it flipped time and time again. So we don't know where this is going to go, but there's so much opportunity with these. And so far, there's been 680,000 users, 400 million in sales, and it's only five months old. There's been 2 million transactions. Most of them are under $50. So it is taking off. We don't know how long, but it seems to get some traction here and some big players in it. So stay tuned, and uh, you might have to check out to see if you want uh, NFT. Okay. How does uh, passing gas generate revenue if everyone does it? Or yeah, perhaps that audio clip of somebody must have been a good one. Or perhaps it, it, it you know further proves that not everybody does. Uh, <laughs> all right, we are. <laughs> Planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, going to talk about Ontario budget that uh, came out recently. Time to get political. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I, when I think about um, the conservative government, in quotations, and the amount of deficits that they're running, it just it seems uh, ironic. Isn't this the most liberal conservative government you have experienced in years? Well, I don't think it started off that way, but no. it certainly has pivoted to that. 
right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think you know, rightly so. I you know, in circles around in my world, um, people that didn't like Doug Ford suddenly like him now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and mostly because they felt he's done a reasonable job. He's been a good communicator, and uh, and that he's fighting for Ontario, right? And that's uh, I think there's there's a few, and and certainly for different. Uh, you know, frontline workers and various people that he's trying to support. So we'll see. Uh, an election was always the uh, the final say on that. But um, so as I just mentioned at the top of the show, that the budget for the deficit for our budget for this year is going to be thirty eight point five billion, and next year it'll be thirty three point one billion in deficit, and um, which you know is a lot of money. Uh, no real, obviously there, there's a, there's on a track to reduce that as time goes by over the next five years, but this is going to be probably at least a 10 year, assuming we don't get any more, um, pandemic scenarios in the next decade as well. Um, but there's no change in terms of an increase or decrease in personal or corporate tax rates. But what they have done is they've, uh, they've either tweaked some, some initiatives that they already started, uh, last year. Uh, and uh, or added a few additional uh, credits for people to um, help soften the blow right now. So just sort of segmenting them, if I were to look at individuals and families, uh, the first one is the child benefit. And the child benefit is going to be doubled from from $200 to $400 for each child age zero up to grade 12. Now, it's interesting to say grade 12. So, you know, for most people, that's probably age 17 in that age bracket. So um, uh, $400 per child and an additional uh, $100, so $500 per child for any special needs scenario. And that's up to and including age 21. Now, so that's the child benefit. Uh, The child care tax credit is going to increase to 20%. And the child care tax credit is going to be calculated and delivered to you when you file your 2021 tax return. So basically, for the expenses that you have associated with child care, uh, they're increasing the amount of credit that you're going to get, essentially meaning that you're going to get um, more refund, uh, a higher refund. Uh, and it is income tested. So the more income you have, that less value that credit will be. And so all of that is going to be calculated for you, and you'll receive that dollar amount delivered to you when you file the 2021 tax return. Uh, there's a jobs training initiative where 50% of the eligible expenses up to a maximum of a $2,000 tax credit for things that you would pay to increase or improve your education towards job training. And uh, an interesting one, trying to help the tourism industry the uh, tourism tax credit. And, you know, remember on our license plate, we used to have yours to discover, right? And so we're back, we've come full circle because they're going to, uh, for Ontario residents who spend money, up to 20% of that expense uh, credit to support travel in Ontario. So if you travel in Ontario, spend money in Ontario, then uh, you will get a tax credit of up to 20%. I'm sure there's a dollar limit on that. I don't have the specifics on it. But basically, yours to discover for 2021, uh, there'll be some tax relief for you. Uh, We'll talk a little bit quickly then about corporations and small business. And small business support grant 
that has been uh, introduced with a minimum of ten to twenty thousand dollars that you could receive. There's also a tourism and hospitality business grant, which again is another ten to twenty thousand dollars. And you would qualify for these if your revenue has declined by twenty percent. So if you can demonstrate a decline of twenty percent in revenue over the last year, and you have less than one hundred employees then you can qualify for these grants. So there's some money on the table. I think that um, a lot of times it feels like it's too complicated or there's too much to figure out, but uh, I think that the dollar figures and the amounts are high enough that it's worth uh, exploring for your situation. There's also a regional opportunities investment tax credit. And uh, so if you're a, a private corporation, you can get a 10% credit or 10% uh, yeah, credit of, of up to 50 from $50,000 to $500,000 of your investment in the qualifying area in, uh, in Ontario. And that's been temporarily increased to 20%. So, in other words, you can get from $10,000 to $100,000 uh, in terms of your investment into a qualifying geographic area. In, and I was just looking at some of the cities that would be eligible around us. So, Windsor, London, Ontario, Stratford. St. Mary's, St. Thomas, Chatham-Kent are all examples of qualifying areas where an investment from fifty to 500000 will give you some tax credit relief. So these are on items such as Class 1 and Class 6, depreciable items. I'll let you guys figure that out. But basically, some of the key things here is it could be that you're involved in constructing, you're involved in renovating, or you're involved in acquiring an eligible commercial or industrial building uh, and other assets in those qualifying areas. So basically, they're looking at, you're willing to put an investment into these geographic areas, we're going to give you a significant tax credit from uh, ten to up to $100,000 if, if it's the right type of, um, if it's the right area and it's the right qualifying property. So, uh, you know, I think it's some great opportunities to help people, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you more as time goes on about any other initiatives on the Ontario budget front. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. They'll get back to you. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Scott. Everybody have a happy Easter. Back at you. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.